Well, we changed up that song at the very end, Dean, and I'm glad that we did. That was really good, and it really fits in with the text that Terry read, and that, by God's grace, I would like to open before you. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. The theme of these verses are living stones, and if you have ever had the opportunity to go visit the Holy Land, the land of Israel, you will certainly see lots of stones. They are piled up everywhere. In fact, this picture is a, a picture of some stones that are right, be, right below the western wall um, on a walkway. It's, uh, this is a little bit expanded picture of it. Uh, these are the stones of the temple that in 70 AD, Roman soldiers dismantled the temple stone by stone, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, and pushed them over that western wall. And this is the pile of stones that, was, uh, that exists there today. There are just stones everywhere. The stones that you see on the left are piled up by Hezekiah. The stones that you see on the right are from the day of Isaiah. And we have a ministry in the land of Israel, the Holy Land, uh, called Tent of Nations, um, that the Nassar family, they have some property out in Israel. And, well, look at that. There are stones out there, too. This is literally a stone's throw from the southern entrance of the city of, uh, of Bethlehem. And they have a farm, about 100 acres of, of property, where they grow all kinds of things. And I know that maybe the picture is hard to see, uh, on the, the right there, but uh, there are a lot of stones on that property. I actually have a, a 3D picture of that property, so maybe you can see it a little bit better. So the, the picture on the right is the 3D picture, and perhaps you can pick out those stones a little bit easier. Uh, 3D being Dahir, Dana, and Daud. The living stones standing on the Nassar property, Tent of Nations property in, in Israel. And if you happen to go there and, and visit with the Nassar family, they will certainly emphasize to you that there are many stones around in the Holy Land. But the most important stones are the living stones. Those are people that have been picked up by God and those stones that have been cut and placed exactly where God wants them to be. Now, the, the stones on the right there, I don't know if you recognize anybody in, in that picture, and, and you might be thinking what I'm thinking, and that is, Mike, are, are those actually um, Hasmonean-era stones? Uh, and on top of those Hasmonean-era stones, are those Umayyad-era stones? And I would say to you, yes, yes, they are. And I'm sure you're very impressed by all of that. Uh, that in case the Tower of David at the Jaffa Gate, isn't that interesting, these Hasmonean-era stones? Well, there are two other stones in that picture. <laughs> um, two living stones, in fact. One of them is uh, Ron Elberg, and you might know who the other one is. Ron was our tour guide in Israel, and Ron, great guy, he's a major in uh, the Israeli Defense Force, pilot, flew fighter jets, 
And uh, in his second career, he became a, a tour guide. He knows a lot about the land, studied a lot about the life of Jesus and all these stones like the Hasmonean stones and the Umayyad stones and all the other stones. But he was as dead as those stones until God got a hold of his heart. And it was a long process. It didn't happen on this trip to Israel. But God used this trip and our group to really make a difference in Ron's life. And at the end of our trip, we all were celebrating communion, something like we just did here in a little grotto at the garden tomb. The old, perhaps ancient Golgotha nearby and the ancient historic place where Jesus' body was laid. And we were there and we were having a communion service, and Ron was sitting in the back. He didn't participate, just listened. And um, we finished our communion service, much like we did here. We all walked out, and uh, Ron was just sitting in the back there. And I I walked over to him and, and sat down, and he said, how can I be saved? I want to take communion. So I called a couple of the other pastors back who were on this trip, and we told Ron how he could be a living stone, and he trusted Jesus as his Savior that day, a a monumental day in Ron's life, and the best thing that happened on this tour to Israel, in spite of all the many stones. This morning I want to talk to you a little bit more about living stones. Peter uses that as a metaphor, and a couple weeks ago, and I think even last week, uh, Pastor Ken was telling you about mixed metaphors. Well, Peter is the master of mixed metaphors, and so you're going to hear a lot of mixed metaphors today about stones and about temples and things like that. So try to pay attention, even though we're using lots of metaphors. So living stones, as Peter describes them here, it has brought to my mind at least three questions. First, who or what are these living stones? And how do you become a living stone? And what is the mission of a living stone? So let's launch into that. First of all, asking the question, who or what are living stones? And Peter defines that in verse 4. He says, as you come to him the living stone. So it's pretty clear that he's talking about Jesus here. As you come to him, come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by man and chosen by God and precious to him. So that's one metaphor that Jesus is the living stone. So that answers that question. Verse 5 says, and you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So Jesus is the living stone, and we are like living stones in this sense, that he is building with us, the living stones, a spiritual house. And there is no question the way that Peter is, is talking about uh, living stones here, that he is referring to the temple. 
when he's talking about living stones and a spiritual house. He is talking about the temple. And, and actually, it fits very well with this context because Jesus is that temple. He's also the one who is the high priest. And he is also the one that has offered a spiritual sacrifice. But, but Peter is making this point for us that we are a spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood. And we are the ones that are offering a spiritual sacrifice. All of these stones are kind of an illusion of what took place when the high priest would go into the holy of holies and offer a sacrifice for sin on behalf of the people. Before a priest could enter into this place or even to become a priest, had to be consecrated and cleaned and made holy. And if you look in Exodus chapter 29, you'll read a whole list of things, lists of sacrifices that the high priest or that priests needed to make in order to consecrate themselves, in order to cleanse themselves. So there's a number of animals that need to be sacrificed, some baskets those animals need to be placed in and placed on altars and washed and cleaned and a whole process that priests would need to go through in order for them to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies in order for them to offer a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice on behalf of the people. Before they entered, they offered sacrifices. And then they entered and offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. So what kind of spiritual sacrifices then do we need to offer in order to be able to enter into this relationship with God so that we can stand before him holy and clean and prepared to do the work that God has given us to do, these spiritual sacrifices that God has asked us to do. What do we have to do in order to be ready to do that? Well, this is what the Bible says about that. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. You see, in the Old Testament, priests had to prepare themselves in order to enter into this holy place. But the sacrifice has already been made. The temple, the priest, and the sacrifice, those things have already been done in the person of Jesus Christ. And we then are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the works which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And it's amazing to think about that when, when we think about what it means to be living stones, we are people brought together by God, made holy 
not because of what we have done or the sacrifices we have made, but God is the one who has made us holy, and he has put us in the right place at the right time so that we might bring others into that same holy place, brought together by God so that they can be made holy. So what, who or what are holy stones? Well, you are. You are a holy stone that has been chosen by God and cut and put into place so that others might come in together into that relationship with him. Now, where did you begin in this process? Well, you were just a pile of stones, actually, until God picked you up, cut you, and put you right in the spot where you belong. So, how does someone become a living stone? Well, it says so right in the text there. See, I lay a stone in Zion. This is from verse 6. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone... The, the stone the builder has uh, rejected became the capstone. So how can you become a cornerstone? You can trust in him. And it's interesting how Peter quoted this verse from Isaiah 28. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who puts trust in him will never be put to shame. If you read that text from Isaiah 28, what you won't see is in him in that text. So Peter, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the meaning of Isaiah 20, 28. It really is a, a messianic verse because it's putting our trust in him. And then verse uh, 7, now to those of you who believe. So in order to become a, a cornerstone, you put your trust in a stone, a living stone. You put your trust in him and believe in him. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You can trust him. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes into this relationship with God except through me. This is what the Bible says about it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when that happens, you are then part of this spiritual building that Peter is talking about, and you are placed right in the right spot on the corner stone. If you go to the Holy Land and um, to the, the Temple Mount area, on the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, you will see the cornerstone of the retaining wall. And I've got my hand on it there, and there's another picture of it. That cornerstone is uh, just a little bit short of 40 feet long, just a little bit short of 8 feet wide, and about 43 inches tall and it, it weighs multiple tons. And it, it's, a, it's an amazing feat of engineering 
that Herod and his master builders were able to stack up these massive stones one on another, and there is no mortar in between them. They are, they are cut perfectly. They fit perfectly. And if you look down on the uh, western wall, that cornerstone that you just saw the picture of is, is in that southwest corner. But as you look down that western wall, that's that famous wall that people call the Wailing Wall. That's where Jewish people come uh, to pray and to worship. If you look at that wall, you will see stones of all different shapes and sizes that were cut out perfectly, one on top of another. And what is holding that whole structure, that whole retaining wall area on the Temple Mount together is the cornerstone. It was the true stone. It was the stone that the builders used to be able to determine what the line should be. And stones were stacked one on top of another, massive stones with no mortar in between them. They just fit perfectly because they were placed on top of the perfect line. The perfect line, which is a metaphor for who Jesus is. He is the cornerstone upon which we are built. So God takes these stones and assembles them and cuts them. He is the master builder. He is the one that, that takes and chooses these stones. And I'm talking about you and me. He, he takes us and cuts us and places us right exactly where we ought to be to build up this spiritual house. Now, you might think that this sanctuary is beautiful, and I will agree with you. It's stunning. The stained glass windows and the architecture, it, it is beautiful. But you know what's more beautiful? The living stones that make up this house, you and me, we have all been chosen by God, picked up by God, cut by God, placed by God into this spiritual house. And it's an amazing thing. Now the only problem is when we take a look at this pile of, of rock and we think that we ought to do something with it. God is the builder, not us. He chooses and cuts the stone. Now, I'm not saying that there's not room for, for self-help or for ways to uh, improve ourselves. There, there certainly are aspects of that that are true. But if you really want to become a living stone picked up by God, you're going to have to let him shape you. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. God is going to have to be the one that takes his chisel, takes his hammer, and starts chiseling away so that you fit perfectly into this spiritual house. So don't be living under the illusion that you happen to be the builder. And that goes for all of us here in, in ministry. This spiritual house that's being built is not 
Mike's house, not Ken's house, not Drew's house, not Eliel's house, not Terry's house. This is God's house. He's the one that is shaping us and molding us and putting us in place where we ought to be so that we can do the kinds of things that God wants us to do. So he takes these stones and he makes them beautiful in a structure of his design to do what he wants us to do. So I guess the last question then is what is then the mission of these living stones? What are we supposed to do? And the text answers that question for us. Declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So if you're wondering, this assembly of beautiful, cut, living stones, what it is that you're supposed to be doing, it's to declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, the question I have is, where ought we declare those praises? Should we do it here, corporately? Is this where we should be declaring our praises to God? What do you think? Should we do it here? In this building? Yes, we should. We should declare his praises in this building with each other because there's a lot of encouragement that goes on when, when we do that. Is that it? Is that the only place we should do it? Declare his praises? Where else should we do it? Everywhere else, outside of this building. That's what living stones do. You, you know why? Because God wants more stones. He's not quite finished with his building yet. There will be a day when all the stones are chosen, cut, and assembled. And on that day, we will all know about it because that's the day that Jesus uh, will return. His temple is complete. His building is finished. His, the spiritual house that he is assembling right now is complete. But you know what? He wants some more stones. So we need to start piling up stones, and we need to declare his praises, the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, because he's making us into this beautiful temple. And I can't wait. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I have a, a short video that I want to show you that kind of emphasizes that point. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you. But when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? 
I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you to my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what? If you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know? I'll stay right here, and then, you That's know... That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. 
say it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, it's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years. These empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah. But you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in me. Because I know who's inside. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just went, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. 
know what that is? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello. Oh yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me, then use me. But God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Pastors and elders will be up in the front after the service if you'd like to come and talk or would like to pray. I'm going to let Peter have the last word in the last part of this section talking about living stones. He says, once you were not a people, now you are the people.